so we have obviously been part of we have obviously been part of conversations where people don't think that they need a training plan or a training coach uh but the reality is that even as active duty operators we still have training plans we still have training coaches but if you're not already in uh in and as an operator in special tactics where do you go trent where do you go I go to my man, Kevin Edgerton. He runs 18 Alpha Fitness. He's been through uh, a few different selection courses and worked in a few different selection courses. I've, I've personally seen the results of his work in the uh, the Air Force uh, selection process, and uh, his results are amazing. So uh, not only has he been through the courses and knows what he's doing, but he also has all the credentials to back it up. Uh, so he's very educated. And, um, yeah, he's, he's a person I trust not just with me but with my family when it comes to uh, fitness and recovery and all those other types of things. And uh, also, I think... Jiu-jitsu as well, right, Aaron? I think you're the jiu-jitsu guy. He is. Has Kevin ever hurt you? Well, <laughs> he he actually has. Kevin and I have rolled together, so that's the great thing about Kevin, right, is he he literally practices what he preaches. He's out there. He's testing all of his programs. He's working out. If he's not video coaching and he's not doing something by distance, man, he is down in the trenches still. And that guy has had a, a long career. He's a 20-year special forces guy. Uh, ended up being a strength and conditioning coach. And now here he is with with standardized plans for everybody. Like, hey, if you want to go to special forces, he's got that base framework, but he does individualized plans and does individualized coaching for you as well. So it's not just something you're going to buy and he says, hey, you're off and you're on your way. He's engaged literally from the start of your journey all the way to the end. He's got a great track record with getting people ready for assessment selection. And, and like I said, man, there's nothing better than somebody that's actually doing the things that, that you're doing as well and, and seeing from some success from. So head on over to uh, 18alphafitness.com. That's 18alphafitness.com. You can find his entire website. You can also find him on Instagram at 18alphafitness. It's the easiest way. Just hit him up. Use our code one ready. Uh, you can hit Kevin up direct on the DMs and that'll get you a discount. And uh, once again, 18alphafitness.com. If you want to get ready and you want to get into the pipeline, whatever that pipeline is, Army, Navy, Air Force, Marines, Kevin can get you there, and he's got the experience to do so. So go check him out, 18 Alpha Fitness. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the One's Ready Podcast. We are back for round two. It's Trent and I, and then we have the legendary Chief Mike Lampy. Now, this is part two, and just to recap what – uh, Chief had hit on beforehand, you know, we've gone through kind of his experiences with the pipeline, and then we moved on to Project 404, and then really some kind of uh, story time, if you will, fireside chats uh, in terms of, you know, we're, we're talking about Chief Lampy doing uh, loading and unloading bombs, um, being an EOD tech, really, uh, and with a bunch of agency guys betting on whether or not you know, they were actually going to stop, survive and be blown up. Um, and now, Chief, we really want to welcome you back to the podcast and then kind of give you a jumping off point. You start wherever you want, really, because we're just here to uh, to listen. But uh, if you want to start off with Brand X, we can go that route if you want. It's, it's, I'm going to turn it over to you. Okay. Thanks, Rich. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I think where I'll just start is kind of wrap up with the uh, Project 404. And I I think I mentioned on the last podcast that that was really a, you know, educational, um, really provided me a ton of experience and tools in my tool bag that I would never have been able to obtain if I hadn't uh, been chosen and had the you know, good fortune to deploy over there, you know, from learning about uh, loading bombs to 
basically taxiing T-28s to learning how to fly an O-1, you know, when we were able to hitch a ride back to Vinchen, where the Raven Facts would basically give us the basic on flying and, you know, kind of they'd go to sleep and uh, myself and Charlie Gay, who was a maintenance rep uh, most of the time. And we got to do that a half dozen times, but what an experience, you know, that, you know, learn the basics of flying and get to fly an 01 fact, you know, from Long Chin back into the Vinchin airspace. Um, you know, learned a lot about uh, airstrikes, resupply, all hands-on you know, all operational. So uh, a great, great, you know, six, eight months experience for me. Uh, you know, I returned from there uh, January of uh, 73, uh, returned back to Hurlburt. And as uh, soon as I got back, you know, I had uh, crossed paths with some of the combat controllers that were stationed at uh, Udorn, Thailand, that won 56 South CCT. And, you know, I really wanted to get back and be part of that team. Um, and so there was a guy on the team, uh, Staff Sergeant uh, Jackie Harden, I think he was a tech sergeant then, that, you know, that was kind of a mentor uh, to me and others, some of the young troops. And, and you know, Jackie sat down with me and, you know, talked about, you know, how my experiences 404 went, what I learned, et cetera. And I said, you know, I really like to get back to Thailand. You know, I'd like to get to get one 56 Sal, you know, CCT, because uh, they were doing some uh, unique stuff. Um, you know, you know, I crossed paths with them up in Longchen, and they were running a project uh, which was the F8 or F. Uh, I'll think of the aircraft uh, uh, beacon bombing program, and so they had the PPP. 18 beacons and they would come up and they would set up i think it was red dog control if my memory serves me correctly and uh and then they would uh, go out the agency would insert them in on the hilltops you know with the beacon and the bb 451 battery um so the uh, aircraft could hone in on those uh, beacons and do bombing runs and uh so I found that intriguing. And plus they were running uh, what they called back then as a forward air guide school. Um, and that was for um, the Laos and Maos and the Thai volunteers that uh, worked for the agency. So they had a uh, had basically held a training program teaching the foreign nationals how to put in airstrikes and actually, once they graduated from that uh, course, they went up and were assigned to different, uh, you know, units, for lack of term, or companies uh, in northern Laos uh, and worked airstrikes for all the indigenous. And so that uh, intrigued me. So uh, Jackie had some points of contact at uh, Personnel Center, and uh, he pulled some strings for me hard to believe and before i knew it i had orders to, to thailand and i think i showed up there in september of 73. now the effort uh, that that team had been doing up in laos reference to beacon bombing uh program obviously had 
come to a halt uh, because of all the peace talks and everything that was going on at that time, reference to bring the war. Um, but they were still running, you know, the Ford Air Guide School. So it was uh, quite an education uh, for me. But I also was able to relate back to my experiences of doing a little backseat stuff, not to say it was legal with the Ravens. Um, and how they were putting airstrikes and how things looked uh, from where, you know, a Raven fact or an OV-10 fact would see uh, see the train. Uh, so I was able to apply that experience, um, you know, to becoming qualified to be a Ford Air Guide instructor and teach the foreign nationals. Uh, but shortly, I think it probably happened in January 74 over there that Jet 156 South uh, all of a sudden became U.S. MACTOT. And, and that was a training uh, detachment now. And they brought, uh, probably back in the history books there, uh, Colonel Adderholt, Heine Adderholt. Uh, and they promoted him to Brigadier General. And they brought him back on active duty. And he headed up uh, U.S. MACTOT. And all of a sudden, our mission focus uh, changed from the Laos and the Thai volunteers and the Mao uh, to the Cambodians. And so across the spectrum there at the detachment, U.S. MACTI detachment, you know, the T-28 uh, pilots were now training uh, the Cambodians. Uh, the Raven Facts now were running a fact school and flying school for the Cambodians. And then we, the CCT team, which was a small detachment, I think there was about six, eight, it fluctuated. We didn't have more than, you know, 12 guys at any one given time there. Uh, we basically retooled the uh, Ford Air Guide School um, uh, for the Cambodians, uh, Cambodian operation. At the same time, they were running a airdrop school, the C-123 pilots there. I think they brought in three or four C-123s with qualified C-123 pilots. And they were coming up with a high altitude CDS drop uh, process. And, you know, kind of put a, what I call a bomber's, you know, site uh, up by the firewall and, uh, started teaching them how to drop CDS bundles, you know, from high altitude. Well, there was no aerial delivery people uh, signed there at Udorn. So we ended up, you know, becoming aerial port or aerial delivery. So we had the responsibility besides running the Ford Air Guide School. Now we're rigging CDS bundles and packing what the G11, G12 uh, cargo parachutes. And then when that program got going, you know, part of us were running the Ford Air Guide School. The other part would be flowing down to Nampong, which had been a previous uh, fighter base for the Marines about 80 miles south of uh, Udorn. And that's where we ran that airfield for all the uh, pilots uh, training, you know, the O-1 pilots, the T-28 pilots. Uh, on all their landings and takeoffs and all that stuff, we ran that airfield. So now besides 
running uh, the, the airfield for the, the students of the O1s and the T28 pilots. At the same time, we're running the drop zone. And then part of the responsibility is try to recover all the CDS bundles and the parachutes. And, and then the 123 that dropped them would, you know, you know, do, uh, would land. And then we'd have to upload all those parachutes and 55 gallon drums and the container system. And then that would be flown back to Udorn. And then, you know, uh, part of us would be waiting to receive it and start re-rigging the bundles. Um, so that was, uh, an interesting and again, another career broadening, uh, experience, uh, you know, rigging CDS bundles, uh, you know, again, training the Cambodians to forward air guide strike running the non Pong airfield. And, and then the, uh, Colonel, of the uh, detachment, I think it was Colonel Tom Deacon, if I, remember correctly, uh, approached us about, you know, running a, a small uh, survival type program for the pilots, primarily focused on E&E and, you know, recovery, you know, you know, where, the, you know, the hoist and, you know, came into place uh, because obviously the previous pilots had been trained on that and, they weren't having much of a success of recovering some of the pilots that ended up getting shot down. So we put together a, a, a three-day program, you know, and it was pretty basic, basic E&E, but, you know, kind of focus on, you know, uh, you know, getting ejected from your uh, T-28 uh, in the Yankee seat, or if you didn't have the Yankee seat, you know, how you bail out and, you know, activate your parachute you know, those type things, which you're familiar with from what's taught at survival schools. And we implemented that. And then some of the helicopters down there in Cambodia really didn't have a hoist system. A lot of times they would have a rope or they had a bunch of straps trying to recover. So we came up with a basic technique of teaching them, you know, if the rope, you know, got down, if the rope was long enough for lactating or the helicopter was low enough, then, you know, how do you secure yourself with that rope? And so we just taught them, you know, take the, take the rope, put it around your waist and then tie a bowling, you know, over, under and back through boom. And then, and we ran that. And then the 20th SOS uh, 53s came up one day of that program and ran, we ran vector training and ran hoist training, uh, from those guys. Um, so that, uh, that continued until, you know, the dominoes started to fall in Southeast Asia, you know, with Laos, um, you know, and Cambodia and Vietnam. I, the sequence is a little bit different, uh, you know, I'm sorry, I don't have it all in order, but I think the first one that we operated on was uh, Laos was basically falling. And uh, a guy named Jerry Daniels, uh, he was uh, codenamed Hog. He was the agency rep for General Vang Pao. And of course, General Vang Pao um, had, you know, 
pretty much ran the 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 uh, war zone or the war up there with the with the Hills tribesmen, the Thai volunteers. You know, he basically operated for the agency uh, to prosecute that war. So Jerry came down to our hooch there in Udorn and came in and we knew him. I worked with him when I was on 404. Uh, but some of the team members, John Corn, Mitch Bryan, uh, Rex Evitz also knew him. And he says, look, uh, I got a, I got to run a, you know, evac of General Fang Tao and all his, as many people we can get out of Longchamp, you know, because the North Vietnamese, the path of Lao are closing in on Longchamp or, you know, things are going to hell in a handbasket. So, you know, he said, okay. And he says, I've already coordinated with your commander. Um, and, and so our part of that operation, he, he didn't need us to go up uh, to launch in to assist with their operations. What he needed us to do is go to Nampong and set up that airfield to receive uh, all the different aircraft coming in with uh, General Fang Tao and his people. So I think it was myself and JK and uh, Mitch Bryan and Rex Evans. Uh, deployed down there, and it was strictly all-night operations, um, and, you know, pretty much uh, limited lighting, and, uh, of course, the embassy and the agency had representatives down there, so, of course, the weather during that time frame wasn't necessarily uh, uh, what you consider cooperative, a lot of, a lot of wind, a lot of rain, uh, et cetera, but, you know, we got the airfield set up. The other thing, is you know we had to come we had to set up what's called an NDB beacon and TRN 25 I think it was and that was uh, quite the chore you know it's a uh, you know the base is like RD D2 you know from Star Wars and then you got a 50 foot antenna that you got to erect and put on that uh, base and then you know, of course secure it. So that uh, became one of the biggest challenges. So the, the uh, evacuation started and, and we were receiving, uh, I think uh, we had one or two C-46s, you know, a C-47. And I think that what we called the Great Ghost back then, a C-130 uh, that the agency used. And so that evacuation, took three nights um, and the visibility sometimes was just horrid. So what we'd have to do is take the Jeep, you know, put it on center line to show it out. You know, the aircraft would come in over the NDB beacon. And then, you know, we had built a, uh, you know, an approach, you know, past that to them. So they'd come in and a few times we had to take uh, gasoline and put it on the, run it down the sides of the runway and light it uh, just because the, the, the beanbag lights that we had or alcohol lights at the time just weren't sufficient for the uh, aircraft to um, acquire their airfield. Um, so eventually, I think we brought in, uh, you know, I'll roughly say 2,500, maybe 3,500 uh, individuals from 
uh, from Long Chen, you know, General Zhang Palin's people. Uh, so that took a three night operation. Uh, we came back from that operation and then things are kind of falling apart in Cambodia. <clears throat> and of course, things aren't going real well in uh, Vietnam. Um, so one of the things we ended up having, you know, the students were training, actually, you know, you know, they started putting out Constantina wire because they, these students wanted to get back to Cambodia to be with their families and boom. And, uh, that was a kind of an interesting, uh, time just trying to control the Cambodian students. And you could understand, Hey, they want to get back, take care of the family, do what they can. And, you know, we're basically kind of holding them. No, you, we can't do that, you know, based on guidance from wherever. Uh, and then the next thing happened is uh, the pending fall of, uh, you know, Vietnam. And then I think myself and it was Rex Evitz got deployed down. We loaded up on a 123 and got deployed down to a place called Trot, T-R-A-T, Thailand. Uh, and it kind of is strategically positioned there on the borders, you know, Vietnam and Thailand, you know, Cambodia, Laos, et cetera. And, you know, our job was to take a soccer field and turn it into an airfield. Uh, so they, uh, the, the 123 landed us, you know, on the soccer field, kind of disrupted a, uh, ongoing soccer game um, that the Thais had with the uh, <clears throat> the local monastery. Uh, and uh, of course that didn't didn't help with uh, making friends and influencing people as you can kind of imagine, but we sorted it out through the head muck during the process of the uh, 123 uh, after dropping off us at the front end of the you know, soccer field went down at the end, ended up getting stuck. <clears throat> so we ended up having to, you know, barter you know, with the local farmers to get, you know, ox, uh, buffalo uh, oxen to uh, help, you know, pull out the nose wheel of the 123. <laughs> <Jeez>. <laughs> yeah, yeah, so finally got got that 123 out of there and got it off. And then again, you know, we're setting up an airfield um, in the middle of uh, this province and a trot. And then we had the NDB beacon again, the TRN-25 set up, you know, at a frequency which was passed uh, to the South Vietnamese and I guess the Americans uh, that were evacuating from uh, Saigon or in the surrounding area. Saigon was about <clears throat> Tanshanuda, I think it was as the bird flies, uh, about 200 miles. Uh, so, you know, in a way it was pretty good, you know, not a, not a long jaunt for them. And I can't remember exactly the day. It was the end of April, probably the 30th, 29th of April, 75, <clears throat> you know, all of a sudden, and of course, you know, there, our frequency has been passed. Um, but, uh, you know, in some cases, uh, there was no comms. Uh, but what we had done is put out the VS-17 pot uh, things, 
when we saw an aircraft approach it, you know, we'd pop smoke to help them acquire the soccer field and eventually acquire what we set up as what we considered the best portion of the soccer field for the landing zone. <clears throat> and and they, uh, they um, you know, started coming in. You know, I think the first uh, bunch of aircraft we received was like the L-1, the Raven Fact L-1 aircraft. And what the Vietnamese had done is they torn out the back seat and just stacked people in there uh, as many as they could. I think the first O-1 we landed, I I think by the time we finished off loading it, I think we had a dozen people come out of that O-1. Just mind, I mean, they just must have stacked themselves up to the ceiling and, you know, the pilot must have had two people he was sitting on to fly. It, it was just, and that just uh, continued to be the case. And, and then we started receiving uh, Huey helicopters and they were packed to the gill. Um, I, you know, I swear that the first Huey that came in, I mean, it was coming in <clears throat> right at tree top level, you know, and then you could hear the engine just struggling to try to stay airborne and it finally kind of just did you know what i call an auto rotation landing and there had to be you know and i'm not exactly at least 30 maybe 40 people stacked in that when they opened up the doors you know they just spilled out <laughs> and so we we ran that operation i think we ended up running it for three days yeah three days, three nights. We didn't receive any aircraft at night that I recall. We did have a, an F-5 aircraft come in to trot. Uh, obviously, landing on a soccer field uh, wasn't con conducive for that type of aircraft, so it had ended up landing itself on the highway. And that, that call is quite the ruckus, as you can imagine. Yeah, I mean, an F-5 has no business landing on a highway. <laughs> and, and so, so yeah, of course, you're, you're working with the Thai police. And, of course, my Thai wasn't very good. Thank goodness we had someone from the embassy uh, that spoke fluent Thai that, you know, we were eventually able to get the, get the F-5 off the main highway where all the buses and Jeeps and you name it, you know, were not happy campers um and i can't remember where we where we parked it or whatever probably went up to one of the bus stops or whatever um but then you know we came back off that operation and and then we received a notification that uh you know the detachment us macti was being uh training detachment was being closed down and uh and of course, you know, you know, Rex and I had just gotten back to Mitch and John and uh, other guys had been pretty much, you know, packing things up, uh, palletizing things, you know, and we just decided, you know, we didn't have any guidance. So the closest team uh, to us was a, the team in the Clark Air Base, the Philippines. So, you know, everything that we had, you know, all the PPN, 18 beacons, uh, you know, batteries, you name it. You know, we just 
palletized everything that we had, just cleaned out the hooch, and which was building 1510. Um, and palletized, the uh, next thing you know, we, uh, we all started receiving, uh, receiving orders or were notified where we're going. And I mean, I'm, I'm talking within, you know, from us coming back from trot, to the time we were climbing on the uh, uh, C-130 with our pallets and uh, stuff was probably two weeks at that uh, or less. And then we we showed up, uh, myself, uh, John Corn and Mitch Bryan all got orders uh, to um, uh, Clark. And then uh, Rex Evitts, got orders to the TACP unit in Fort Lewis, you know, because back then the 304s, you know, you know, were assigned to combat control teams and were combat controllers, but a lot of time the Air Force would sign them as a 304 to TACP. So Rex didn't get assigned to the McCord team at the time. He got assigned to the uh, TACP unit. And I think a couple of the other guys, same thing. I think we had a young troop, Mike Brown at that time, Stu Pressey. Uh, I think Stu Pressey got reassigned to Pope uh, Air Force Base, and Mike Brown was a 304, got assigned to, I think, a TACP unit in Shaw Air Force Base, to my memory. And there was a couple other movements, but it's been such a long time, I you know can't recall. So we show up in Clark Air Base. And, uh, and again, that, that team, um, had the, uh, uh, Lou Brabham, JD Birch, uh, John LeBeau, and, and I think Tom Fagan, uh, were the four that got deployed into Saigon and ran that part of the evacuation of Saigon during that time. Um, and, uh, they did, uh, did some outstanding stuff, some heroic stuff. And if I recall, all four were awarded the Silver Star for their actions during that evacuation of Saigon. And uh, so I was stationed there at uh, Clark Air Base uh, from, I think, May of 1975 until November of, uh, or October, November of 79. And again, that was, uh, again, another, you know, enlightening, uh, educational, uh, assignment, uh, different mission set. Uh, the focus for that team was a lot focused on Korea at the time. Uh, so that's uh, where I learned a lot about, uh, drop zone and landing zone surveys is in Korea, always part of the survey team going surveyed the Suwon Highway, uh, different places up on the DMZ. We had a place up there we called Ice Cream Drop Stone because when we were up there surveying, if there was a Korean out there, believe it or not, selling ice cream. <laughs> I'll take it. <laughs> <laughs> I'll take it. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, spent many months up there, uh, you know, uh, operating from Tegu, all right up Sokcho, spent a lot of time up to Camp Casey with the 2nd Infantry Division, uh, just, you know, dealing with a lot of contingency, 
operations, I would call it, and, you know, different, different exercises, uh, you know, spent a lot of time on, you know, which I think is still an exercise team spirit, you know, working with the rock special forces, um, you know, during that exercise, uh, through those years. And at the same time, we had a pretty, uh, aggressive dive program and halo program at Clark we had a lot of highly qualified guys. And, uh, during that time frame, uh, you know, CCT, uh, was having trouble getting dive slots. And it's during this time frame, um, that we'll call project recognition, which actually is the, you know, the start of brand X. And, uh, one of the prerequisites that, you know, Coach Carney wanted uh, the brand X team is to have, uh, his individuals do qualify. And, uh, so we ended up, the Clark team, uh, got tasked to come back to States, um, to run a dive program or dive school, you know, three week, four to boom. So Johnny Hall was, uh, the, uh, senior diver, diver, dive instructor there at Clark. Yeah, had a lot of experience. And then um, I think there was uh, J.D. Birch, Tom Fagan, and then uh, they chose me uh, also to go back as part of the instructor cadre. And so we ran a portion of that uh, program at Charleston Air Force Base, you know, pretty much, you know, the, the first, first couple weeks of it, uh, you know, the pool training, pool harassment, uh, you know, all the academics, uh, et cetera. And then uh, we flew down from Charleston with all the students, you know, which Coach Carney was one, Mitch Bryan, John Corrin, uh, was it David Wilson, uh, you know, Pete Holt, uh, guys like that. You know, again, I've kind of lost track of everybody that we trained that was part of or Coach Carney was looking at to be part of the Brand X team. And then we finished out all the dive training down at Key Largo. Um, you know, all the compass swims, the deep dives, um, you know, all that. And, um, and then uh, we came back there. And that's, you know, I, I knew Coach Carney pretty much as, you know, you know, Major Carney, Captain Carney, promoted to major just in a student thing. And then, and that's when, you know, he approached me. I, you know, I didn't know brand X from Adam or what brand X was. And, and they were having a graduation party and, you know, coach Carney kind of pulled me off the side and said, Hey, you know, you know, uh, you know, John Corn, Mitch Bryan, you know, these guys uh, speak highly of you and, you know, recommended it. I uh, talked to you about Brand X, and I said, "What the what the f is Brand X, sir?" You know, <laughs> please explain. You know, it's well, you know, it's kind of a special program where we're going to be working with uh, some of the Army. You know, you know, of course, Delta. You know, if you didn't say Delta at the time, you know, we've got a special Army unit that we're going to be interfacing with, and you know. Yeah, and they kind of alluded, kind of be 
counter-terrorist stuff. And, and of course, there at the Philippines, we had been, you know, on this um, exercise with the SEALs and at Subic. And it was all pretty much focused on counter-terrorists. And a lot of the stuff focused on, uh, you know, the Antibi raid that the Israels had done. And so we used uh, QB airfield. I know I'm digressing on as like in Tibby Airfield and, you know, where, you know, where we had the air operation piece and of course the SEALs and, you know, the uh, New Zealand and Australian SAS were part of that training program along with the Filipino, uh, well, called special forces. So that, you know, you know, just kind of reflecting back on those experiences, you know, I kind of peaked my, piqued my interest. And I said, well, coach, you know, the problem is, is, you know, I've already got an assignment. I got a, I applied for a consecutive overseas uh, assignment. And he said, where to? I said, Germany. And, you know, to the seventh SOS special operations uh, thing, you know, because I said, I really like to stay overseas. You know, um, know, I like to go to Germany because my wife, wife's family uh, is in France. Uh, Teresa, my my wife, um, her father was in the French military, and of course, you know she uh, you know escaped uh, from Laos along with her family, a lot of her family, prior to the fall of uh, Vinchin, the capital of Laos, and were able to you know get to France, and uh, because of her father's uh, status with the French military, they they you know became full. French citizens over there. And I said, so I, you know, I'd kind of like to reconnect, you know, Teresa with her family. And, you know, he said, well, you know, okay, you know, understand, you know, and, you know, and so it's kind of what the last part of October, I'm, I'm already out processing. We're over at, uh, what do you call it? The BOQ or transit quarters. Mm -hmm. Uh, you got my young son, he's two years old and Teresa is pregnant with my second son, Travis. And I get this call when I get a call, I get, you know, someone knocking on the door It's from CBPO, you know, consolidate boom. Hey, you, you, you text Sergeant Lampy. And I said, yeah, he says, I'm supposed to give you this, you know? And I said, what is it? Well, it's a new set of orders. I said, what? <laughs> I said, what? <laughs> I said, I got orders. Brian Mind, Germany, 7th SOS, Combat Control Team. Yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah, you got new orders. Charleston Air Force Base, uh, 437th uh, Military Airlift Wing, uh, Combat Control Team. And, you know, so I said, who do I talk to about this? You know, so you can go talk to the chief at CPPO. So, okay, it's a short walk, short jog. So I jog over to CPPO. Interesting thing is that this chief, you know, this is ironic. The the chief of CBPO is was my first supervisor in the Philippines when I was assigned to the Philippines as an admin troop. You know, and so I walk in, you know, Chief McCall, and says, Chief, you know, he says, Hey, Aaron Lampy. Well, you said, Well, text Arden Lampy. <laughs> yeah, he said, well, uh, I said, can you explain this to me? You know, 
and he says, look, you know, some guy named major Carney, <laughs> you know, and 21st air force or whatever. I said, yeah, I was, his, you know, I was one of his, uh, scuba instructors, you know, you know, a while back. Well, uh, he has basically got you reassigned to Charleston air force base. And, uh, and it's been concurred with with the, the two-star general at 21st Air Force, which was General Sadler at the time, who Coach Carney worked for and who had basically, you know, recommend Coach Carney head up the project recognition now, what we call Brand X. And I said, yeah. And he says, is there any way, you know, way to get out of this? I explained to the chief, hey, my wife was really looking forward to go to Germany. And, well, Hey, orders are orders, Sergeant. Jeez. <laughs> break the news. <laughs> you make someone else explain it to my wife then. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then you go tell her. Sure. I don't want to tell her. Yeah. Well, you, you can imagine how that went. It's like a turd in a punch bowl. You know? Yep. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and so the fast forward, okay. You know, yeah, I got new orders, you know, climb on the, uh, uh, whatever hell birds they were flying us out of there, uh, and flew back, you know, states. And I spent a little time up in Washington state, you know, with the, with the, my parents. And then, uh, Teresa and I, you know, traveled across the states. And, uh, I think we signed in to Charleston Air Force Base on 1 November 1979. Um, checked into quarters, um, uh, Coach Carney wasn't on board. They were out, uh, I think it was at Warrenburg Maxim at the time in North Carolina. Out there, there's an airfield. And actually doing, I think, the last validation exercise to certify uh, SFOD Delta as uh, U.S.'s counterterrorist force. So I think they wrapped that up on the 3rd of November. The coach came back and they came over to quarters and, you know, not <laughs> sure got a real warm welcome from Teresa, but <laughs> you don't say <laughs> uh, I don't mean to laugh good <laughs> but yeah, it all worked out and uh so the next day, you know i I'm trying to figure out where we're gonna live, you know, get out of b o q and what happens you know for November, the embassy falls, the hostages are taken. And then, you know, it's, it's utter chaos. Uh, you know, what's going on, you know, with uh, the brand X team. Now the brand X team now is coach Carney, uh, you know, Mitch Bryan is the NCIC, John Corn, David Wilson, uh, Pete Holt, myself. And then, uh, you know, picked up uh, Dick West, who was over in the Philippines with us. Um, so that kind of made the, you know, it, for lack of term, the, what's called the core brand X team at Charleston at the time. And understand, you know, they assigned Coach Carney there as the OIC uh, to the Charleston team. And, of course, all of us were the Charleston team. Uh, but in actuality, we were for lack of term, seg segregated, I don't mean that in a negative term, we had the back portion of that building that we operated on. And we really 
had no, you know, we did a little bit of uh, support for the 437th uh, military airlift wing, which was all 41 at the time. But again, our, our focus, you know, as soon as I got there, was all focused up at Bragg and interfacing uh, with SFOD and, of course, down at Pearlbert with the, uh, the MC community. And, and so, you know, we went through a, you know, a ton of, you know, gyrations, uh, uh, references. You know, I finally got the family settled in, went on. A couple, well, and, and you got to understand that, you know, this was a, you know, for lack of term, probably the most cohesive uh, organization at the time was SFOD Delta. You know, they were pretty much an established organization. Um, you know, we had just kind of come together, you know, brand X. Now, again, granted we all pretty much knew each other. And if you look at the original brand X and the guys that went into desert one, we'd all served in Southeast Asia together. So we had, you know, we kind of knew each other's moves on the dance floor. So when you look at the guys that went into desert one, coach, Coach Carney, you know, uh, you know, was our OIC, our leader. And then uh, we had picked up Rex Wallman out of uh, Hurlburt. And uh, that was tied to, you know, interfacing with the gunships. And he had been working uh, with the gunship uh, contingent plans and stuff. But everybody else that was there, myself, Mitch, John, and Bud Gonzalez was part of that, and Dick West, we had all served in, you know, Thailand together, served in the Philippines together. So we were for lack of term, cohesive in that, in that manner. Um, and I guess the thing on the, uh, Iranian thing, you know, the way things played out, um, is every, you know, JCS kind of wanted to make this a, you know, what you got to call it a joint operation, mm-hmm. you know, make sure each of the services had a piece of the action per se. And so it, it never, it, it, it didn't, um, what can I say? It looked like anything that you see today or what, you know, came about after the, the, uh, hallway commission. Um, so is it, you know, I, I just use the term and I don't mean it disrespect. It was kind of a pickup game. Um, and, and tactics and techniques, you know, were being developed as you're rehearsing. Uh, the other thing, you know, people kind of lose sight of is, is the Air Force and the Army, and well, all services were pretty much going through the motion of downsizing or, you know, eliminate special ops capability. Um, I mean, they were getting ready to send all the AC-130 gunships, if I recall, to the reserves uh, at that time. Um, there was only a small amount of MC-130s. You know, there was a few there at Hurlburt. There was a few in Okinawa, the first SOS, and a few at the seventh SOS. So they had to pool from all these organizations 
to have enough uh, sufficient airlift to do. And then, of course, you probably know by history, you know, a decision was made to utilize the um, Sea Stallion 53s, which were minesweepers, the Navy uh, 53s. And to my understanding, the reason for that was is they didn't want to use your your normal HH-53s or your rescue 53s um, uh, because they would stand out, you know, on a carrier or if they're operating over in that uh, AO. So they elected to, you know, set aside, I think it was nine, nine sea stallions um, on the Nimitz, if I got my ships or aircraft carriers correct. <clears throat> And maintain them out there, and and then they chose, you know, Navy and Marine crew members to be the pilots. Obviously, they had sea stallions that probably came out of you know, San Diego and North Island uh, that were part of the initial uh, train up. And you know, no disrespect to those pilots, but it was takes a different breed or different training. Uh, to fly the low level in NVG and and go into you know posture conditions, and I would say we probably went through a couple crews, and again we were rehearsing all kinds of different scenarios. I mean, one time we're doing drop an air blivet uh, fuel uh, from 141s, and we had drop prior with mules uh, and things like that to try to recover them and and then try to refuel the you know set up farp stations out in the middle of the desert and that necessarily didn't go well and um, so we kind of went away from that uh, program same time we're uh, running uh, we'll call airfield seizure type operations uh, in Indian Springs uh, with the Charlie Company of the 1st 75th. Uh, I think uh, Sherm Wilford was the commander and the company commander at the time was uh, Captain Dave Grange. Um, you know, the folks that were operating. And, and also, uh, we were operating with the uh, agency the folks that were developing mm, the lights that eventually Coach Carney, you know, flew in on the agency birds and implanted them. Um, so I guess what I'm trying to articulate, and I'm not doing a very good job of it, is envision that, you know, this rehearsal to go do uh, Operation Eagle Claw really never went from to a full dress rehearsal if that makes sense. We were rehearsing, practicing, exploring different, what I call different, you know, options to do what they wanted us to do. I think the most stable process uh, in the whole rehearsal was Delta's, you know, reference the embassy, the chancellor's house, you know, all that stuff. That was, that was pretty much locked in stone. So they, they had, you know, as far as I'm concerned, they had all their T's crossed and all their I's dotted. Um, and I think, uh, you know, and, you know, where we 
fit in. You know, always seemed to we always seem to be in somewhat of a parochial battle, I guess is a polite way to put it. And I think a good example is that there's one, you know, operation that we're gonna, you know, we're gonna go seize uh, um, Indian Springs. You know, was one of the options. You know, we we fly into Indian Springs, the MCs, et cetera. You know, the Rangers. You know, CCT. You know, all that stuff. Hook up. Um, but Mitch Bryan and I down there to run that operation. I think this was January of uh, uh, January eighty. Yeah, sorry about that. And you know, so we're in the briefing room. And there's always the push. Uh, we got to get more shooters. You know, we got to put more shooters. You know, got to put more rangers on the airplane, uh, et cetera. And so, you know, we're, Mitch and I are sitting in the briefing, and you know, we got the responsibility for <clears throat> the TAC and and you know, uh, uh, what do you call it, uh, air operations uh, portion of um, the, um, you know seizure at Indian Springs. And, you know, no disrespect to any of those fine gentlemen, but they they made a decision that Mitch and I weren't needed. Um, and said, nope, you know, uh, so I want you to teach uh, private Snuffy over here, you know, you know, Ranger Snuffy, you know, no disrespect, I got the most respect for the Rangers, but um, they, you know, train him up on, you know, how to set up the TAC and, and, you know, all that stuff that we were supposed to do, you know, we're training up a couple, uh, you know, Rangers to do what Mitch and I were supposed to do. Uh, and we did the best we could in the short amount of time that we had. Uh, but that decision, you know, you know, the Ranger Battalion commander and, you know, you know, Sherm Williford, which, you know, uh, and Captain Grange decided they needed more Rangers, and I think it was Colonel Wicker, uh, uh, the Air Force component commander, said, "Okay, you know." And he's the one who told us to train these guys up. So, uh, at the same time, you know, Coach Carney had flown out there uh, with uh, uh, the commanding general and uh, the the J3 of JCS, uh, three-star uh, General Gas. They were going to observe and watch this, uh, you know, operation, observe where we're at in uh, executing the, the rescue plan. Um, so after we did our part, you know, and we went down by Bacon by the Sea, and, uh, you know, we had quite a few beers. <laughs> good. And, no, we had the app. Um, so we, we finally came back, you know, hit the hit hit the rack. Next thing I know, uh, the building office is pounding on our door. You know, hey, you know, Sergeant Lampy, Sergeant Bright, wake up. You know, okay. Okay, we're awake. You know, what? You need to come over to the office, take this call from this irate major. What? Okay, uh, maybe you wouldn't irate, but you know, went over there. It's Coach Carney, and, and he said, "What the hell were you guys doing?" That was, da, 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 da. hey, Coach, we didn't go. 
They took us off the mish. <laughs> we, I have to tell you, Coach, that you know, I'm sorry we didn't have any way to get all of you, but uh, they they elected uh, for us to train up a couple rangers the best we could to do what we were supposed to do. We had nothing to do with that, whatever took place. And, you know, I guess it just turned into, uh, you know, quite a cluster. And uh, they finally basically stopped the op and, um, you know, sent all the airplanes home. And the next thing I know, they have a meeting up at Fort Bragg. Uh, and this is a watershed event for Brand X, in my humble opinion. And uh, General Gass, you know, brought all the commanders in. And Coach Carney was there. I'm, we're still at Hurlburt. But, you know, obviously they kind of covered what the hell went wrong. And General Gass got up and said, listen, from this point on, airmanship will be done by airmen. Is that clear? Boom. I guess you could hear a pin drop. So, you know, moving forward, you know, yep, yep. We got to do airmanship. <laughs> but it's 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 interesting because like history repeats itself. I know that there's been several operations where uh space or weight was limited or or whatever, and they're like Hey, you know, um, we got to cut some stuff and, and though we were never cut, you can, history just repeats itself because I mean, look at the down, you know, we're downsizing now the entire DOD is kind of downsizing, especially, you know, air force special operations. And and you're kind of like, well, you know, we've, you would, you would hope that we have learned from the past, but we, we really haven't. No. You know, it, it seems like, you know, I'll just say generationally, if you don't read history, you're you're doomed to repeat it. And there's a lot of lessons to be learned if people would just take time and and uh, look back uh, and reflect, you know, from my perspective. I mean, there's a lot to be learned. And, you know, uh, so, yeah, you, you kind of scratch your heads on that is why. And that, you know, to me, that's a great example of what, you know, what we call special Air Force Special Tactics has gone through ever since uh, the stand-up of uh, Brand X, that we're always fighting for, you know, as we used to tell Coach, Coach, you know, get us in. Coach, get us in, get us on the playing field. We'll do the rest. Um, you know, show them, you know, you know we're always, in, I, I don't know if it's, case anymore but i think you guys have really you know established you, know, you you've got to hell one anchor point what you've done since 9 11 that you know can't be uh, disputed but during our time frame during my time frame we were constantly basically establishing our bona fides it seemed like and you know i, I think coach's book no room for errors a, a pretty great title because Every time we were getting ready to go and miss, you know, Coach always reminded you were only only as good as your last miss. That is, you know, there is no room. Yeah, and and so, you know, we constantly, I mean, just you know, from that always stuck in our mind. That always uh, was something that going out the door, you know, 
you know, you're just going, you're going through your mental gymnastics, you're double checking your equipment, you know, you're gearing your, your mental game up for lack of term because, you know, you didn't want to face coach Carney, you know, <laughs> if you, you know, screwed the pooch, you know, Rat. <laughs> tough old liars. <laughs> yeah. I, don't, <laughs> yeah, but I, I, I think <laughs> don't meet him in a dark alley. <laughs> uh, but, uh, um, but you know, that's the poem. And, and again, you know, we can talk about desert one some more. There was some unique events in there, but I know we've been going for almost an hour. Um, but even, even after that, uh, stuff and we went uh, through the rehearsals and I, I guess I'll throw this in on desert one, uh, on and retract. We never, you know, we, and I say we CCT uh, never had a full dress rehearsal, uh, and I don't think that the whole thing was. Ne- we never went from A to Z, you know. Like you know, again, I don't know your, you know, when we were trained doing uh, JRT access with the Rangers, you know, you had a day rehearsal, you had a night rehearsal with each of the companies, and. You know, eventually you had a battalion op, and by that time you kind of worked out of the bugs and stuff. But none of that, you know, from what I call the operation side, that we ever brought that all together. And in fact, here's a prime example. Um, Mitch Bryan and I, uh, this is another, another, you know, rehearsal uh, of possible tactic, tactics to, to get the job done is uh, we go up and I think it was B squadron of Delta. We link up with B squadron, boom. And we jump in, uh, we fly from Fort Bragg all the way out to Yuma, uh, out there at that drop zone. And we drop in, you know, motorcycles and mules and I think, you know, some Jeeps. And so we're doing, you know, dead and airdrop out in the middle of the desert. And then we're doing land nav across you know, the desert at night with, you know, mules and motorcycles, et cetera. And so after the drop, we, we, I don't know how many hours we were, you know, fighting the desert and um, getting from point A to point B. And then we found a place that we held up, you know, it was coming to light. So we, you know, you know, camouflaged up and pulled out camera nets and, you know, you know, basically stay there until uh, night came. And so we're just bedding down, and, and all of a sudden we get this Huey helicopter flying in the area, you know, you know, flying around, flying around. And uh, and I think at the time, uh, it was probably Barswell, I think, was, uh, you know, like the, you know, Saber squadron commander or, you know, squad member or whatever. He finally made a decision. Hey, you know, let's break, you know, you know, cover here and step out, see what the hell's going on. So did that helicopter lands, you know, and I think it was Barnwell and his Sergeant major, uh, you know, went up, you know, and basically got directions from whoever was on the helicopter that need to get back to Yuma uh, airfield and get back to Fort Bragg. And, you know, so, you know, we uh, figured out 
out of the fastest route from where we're at back to the airfield and loaded up on 141s and flew back to, you know, good old, you know, kill ramp at Fort Bragg. Of course, Mitch and I, you know, we had to drive from Fort Bragg back to Charleston. You know, so we get in the boom and it was about four or five hour drive. We get back and, and I think the coach was there to meet us and said, okay, you know, don't get yourself squared away. We're, we're going to go. It's a go. So that's when we found out the mission was a go. And we were out doing cross country or overland navigations as a new tactic for, for the, the force to go into, uh, Iran. And I, you know, I think at the same time, uh, John and, uh, Dick West were doing a practice, uh, airfield seizure at Indian Springs. And so all kinds of moving parts. And so when we finally, you know, we climb on a 141, um, Delta promised us a motorcycle. So that showed up on the 141 that picked us up and flew us to Rhine Mine. And then we got flown to Wadi Kini, Egypt. And again, we're still trying to piece everything together. If you know what I mean, nobody has said, hand your playbook. So we get into Wadi Kini, we're in the, the tents there. And of course, a month prior, you know, the coach had basically been chosen or recommended by Colonel Beckworth that, you know, Colonel Beckworth wanted eyes on, on this, uh, you know, lake bed that all the Intel folks had decided would be sufficient to land C-130s on. And uh, so, you know, I don't know if you guys know that story, but, you know, Coach Carney, you know, is sitting in a meeting, all of a sudden he's the chosen one to to be flown into by Iran by the agency. Yep. And to implant, you know, the box and one. And box and one was the project that we had been working off and on with the what I call the agency geek guys that de- developed uh, a transponder and 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 the these what I call the old beanbag lights, you know, uh, with pop-up antennas that could be activated, I think, for 10 miles out. And we had worked back and forth, you know, on different things down at Fort Stewart between all the other uh, things that we're doing. And so those things passed mustard. I can't recall who did the final test with them with the 130 and the transponder. I think it was Pete Holt. Uh, I'm not sure in material, but got that done. So coach got chosen and here's your four, four beanbag lights to put the box on one together. And, and, you know, and so, you know, what they do is they take them out of the air force. (laughs) (laughs) He's not in the air force any longer. (laughs) (laughs) He's just Joe civilian. (laughs) Jeez. <laughs> it's and, and and so you know he links he follows the instructions he's got a he got he's got a new name uh you know they gave him a you know alias 
and he, you know, he, you have to have him on the interview to tell the story. You know, he forgot about his alias, you know, when he was checking in to one of the hotels uh, overseas. That, That's uh, not good. It's <laughs> <laughs> all, <laughs> and the guy, and here's the classic, you know, this is kind of, you know, it's a small world. One of the primary pilots was one of the Air American pilots that I, you know, always hitched a ride with down in Vincent. If I remember, told you, you know, you know, you know, when we did, when we didn't stay up country, we always flew back with the Air America or the Ravens or whoever and catch a ride. Well, one of the first pilots I flew with, you know, um, uh, going up in Longchamp was a guy named Jim Ryan, and uh, he, you know, held a pilot, and he had uh, had lost a portion of his leg you know, an operation. So, you know, they say he was a wooden, had a wooden leg. And so he ended up being one of the primary pilots of the otter that took, uh, you know, coach Carney into the desert. You know, so you talk about a small world. Yeah. No kidding. And, uh, I held a pilot. And I remember the first flight I had going up to Longshed. He had, had a bunch of rice and beans and bullets and stuff that he had to deliver to a hilltop. And of course we're flying up as me and Charlie day and all the rice and beans and bullets. And, you know, we're sitting on that and we're going into this cloud bank. Um, and you can't see diddly. Uh, but this guy had been flying this area, you know, you know, time and distance, whatever. And all of a sudden, you know, again, I'm dying. Yes, but this is the kind of pilot this guy was. He's, you know, starts circling around and we start descending and descending. And we're still in the clouds. You know, we're just kind of, you know, circling around and around. And all of a sudden, here's this postage stamp of an LZ on this hilltop. Just boom. And his last turn, boom, comes down and just boom, sets the airplane down. You know, right out of this cloud bank. You know, I'm sitting there. Jeez, and I, you know, they don't have all this high speed navigation shit. This is just flying by the seat of your pants. And and I said, holy Christ! You know, you know, you talk about having a pucker factor. You know, my first flight on a twin, or not a twin honor, but a porter. Yeah, <laughs> I like the choices. Yeah, uh, welcome to Laos. Welcome to Air America. Chief, that is insane. Well, I, uh, I'm because we're because we're at an hour, um, and, and yeah. I I want to be respectful of your time. Uh, obviously, we're not done yet because your career is un- unreal, and and I'm like I've been taking notes the entire time, like like I did last time, and and I just going through. You know, we've talked for an hour and you've gone through, you know, the Ford Air Guide School, um, talking about the stuff with uh Mac Ty with with General Adderholt, you know, oh landing O ones on soccer fields, unloading people, evacuating F5s on highways, CDS bundle recovery, re-rigging. Um and then you start going into the beginning of Brand X and Dive School and then Coach Carney. Uh, like I mean, and we haven't even gotten into Operational Eagle Claw or anything like that. So, um, as yeah. always, we we definitely want to invite you back, and, and hopefully, we don't make it as as long between 
uh, you know, sit downs, but uh, I definitely want to say thank you and and we really really appreciate you coming on. And uh, and again, you, Coach Carney, any of these folks are always uh, invited back on. Uh, we really appreciate it. And we'll go ahead and schedule you after this, after we, we're done recording and try and get you scheduled and locked down for a, a part three, if you will. So definitely appreciate you joining us and everybody out there. Uh, Thanks for tuning in. See you later.